Hello from Yerushalayim. It's Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedalia Gutentag, with Mishpacha's Homefront, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Gedalia. So straight over to you, actually, because we have news out of Gaza, which Israeli forces are surrounding the Shiva Hospital there, the biggest uh, medical center, the Gaza Strip. And that is set to become, to Israeli flashpoint, set to become a big story over the days ahead. Benjamin, what do you hear? That certainly is the big news. I was just hearing Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Henriquez, who is the foreign spokesman from the IDF to the foreign press. Uh, Firstly, he gave an update because everyone wants to know, well, what have we really accomplished so far in the month of the war? So he said that we've uncovered about 130 tunnels so far. Some of them are interconnected. Some of them are independent. And uh, these are all very, very important discoveries because this is how Hamas operates. They operate underground. They mass underground and then they come out when they want to attack. Uh, They use these underground fortresses to uh, keep themselves safe. And the more that we can infiltrate them and destroy them, the more we weaken their military ability. He also pointed out that over the last two and a half weeks, Israel has been focusing on the humanitarian angle and that we're evacuating Palestinians from the north of Gaza every day for a period of between two to four hours a day to get them to the south. It's a very complex operation, but it's absolutely vital for Israel to take control of these hospitals where Shifa is not the only one. Al-Quds is another one. The Indonesian hospital is another one. But Shifa is the place which has the Hamas main headquarters. And he called it a very important military aim. He said Shifa specifically is a place where Hamas focuses. It's where they feel protected. They have many resources. And it's a very important military asset to the enemy. And the sooner that we get in there, in the right way, of course, we have to do it carefully because of all the booby traps that are bound to be there. But uh, the sooner that we're able to get in there and take control of it, uh, the better off and the safer we're all willing to feel. Mm. Shifa hospitals is something that's really about recently, and I just had calls to look at it again for the something I wrote for the uh, upcoming magazine. Shifa firstly means healing in Arabic. So it's actually a legitimate medical center, meaning there is actually, you know, legs get put in plaster of Paris and, and whatnot over there. But it has always been a dual use facility. It was founded by the British at Mandate Times in the late 40s, which was run in some shape or form when Egypt controlled uh, Gaza Strip. But it was actually in its current form, and this is a very fascinating thing, its current form was expanded in the 1980s under Israel, by Israeli money, actually American funding, but Israeli money, under an architect called Gershon Tsipor. Now, Gershon Tsipor was responsible, apparently, for some of Israel's hospitals and some of the big public buildings, uh, which are familiar, for example, anyone who's lived in Ramat Hashkol in Yerushalayim will be aware of the big uh, museum next door, Givat HaTachmoshet Ammunition Hill. He designed that facility, he designed many, many of them. It's a very fascinating thing. And so that gives you an insight into how was the IDF able to put together this whole, you know, kind of 3D mock-up that they showed of where the chambers under these cavernous halls under the hospital are. And the, the reason is because in the National Library archives, which you can access, and I did yesterday, you can log in to the archives where Gershon Tsipora's own architectural files were deposited a few years ago, and you can actually see the plans to it. And so it's just a reminder of how much this is a closing of a circle. We left 15, 20 years ago until back in 2000, when these buildings were built, it was an Israeli architect, Israeli builders. And I, I just finished with this segment, the deep and bitter 
irony of it all is that when they expanded this hospital, rather, in the 1990s, as again, Israel who did it, the construction firm needed to hire a local security firm in order to guarantee the site safety. They hired no less than Hamas to do so. So there's a rich irony there in many ways. I'll add one more tidbit, Gadali, if I may. Lieutenant Colonel Conricus also said that all of the concrete for the uh, underground tunnels that Hamas has built over the last 17 years came through Israel, and it came via funding from the U.S., Europe, Japan, and other foreign countries. So basically everyone's played a role in Hamas's project, as you pointed out, Israel too. And if it has to be destroyed for the, for the safety and for the security of the Jewish issue of here in Eretz Israel, it's something we have to do. Which brings me to one heartwarming thing, at least partially that I read today, that Joseph Borrell, who's the EU foreign minister, he came out with the tweet accusing Hamas of using hospitals and civilians as human shields. That's not news, of course. On the other hand, Hamas jumped on that and issued a sharp condemnation saying that, quote, this gives Europeans cover for the continuation of what they called Israeli crimes against children and civilians. And an IDF spokesman said that this is certainly a welcome change on the part of the EU, uh, which now accepts uh, the Israeli position regarding the hospitals in Gaza. And that's going to give us uh, political support uh, for what we have to do next. But if I may, speaking of political support, there's been a lot of turmoil in the UK in the last day over what's going on with the demonstrations. And uh, there's been a big shakeup inside the cabinet of Prime Minister Sunak and Gedalia. We were kibitzing before, but I was saying that I can't think of anyone on this podcast that knows more about UK politics than you. So I'd like to hear what's going on and how does this affect UK support for Israel going forward? So I might kibitz back and, and just say that there's uh, likewise for the American political scene, which is obviously a great compliment to your uh, far-reaching knowledge. So yes, it's a big shakeup. Let's just get this straight over here. Over the last month, Jewish community in Britain has been set on edge by enormous protests, swelling possibly between 100 and 300,000. I think there was, according to the police, 300,000 central London pro-Palestinian, and they had all the trappings of these anti-Israel protests, meaning these people started long before Israel had really taken any offensive action. And so these the rank anti-Semites, and you can see it at their slogans, etc. And yet they've been defended by the Metropolitan Police, and that's London Police Force, and very influential in the policing that gets done in the rest of the country. And they said, well, they couldn't do anything about it because basically they came up with the free speech thing. Now you have to understand that free speech in England is a lot more circumscribed than it is in America. So there are grounds in which to ban these things. In the magazine, we had a influential voice, Lord Eric Pickles, who was a, a, a former government minister. He accused the Metropolitan Police of falling prey to woke policing. And that is where this story begins because the Home Secretary, a lady called Suella Braverman, she's in charge of the police. She's got some authority over it. It's like the Minister of the Interior. Is she Jewish, Gedalia? No, she's not Jewish. She's actually of Sri Lankan. She's definitely Asian descent, but yeah, she's married someone who's Jewish. And in fact, I know, you know somebody whose sister went to school with her, so she happens to be Jewish. Anyway, Suella Braverman has for weeks been escalating her rhetoric, challenging the police. And last week, she accused the Metropolitan Police of playing favorites, her words, and then she called the demonstrators pro-Palestinian mobs. I think if, if you're a Jew in central London, you would be hunted there. You would feel very, very, very scared. And they are mobs. So that's not going too far. And the last thing she said 
was she called what was going on on Shabbos, there's this protest, hate marches. That, and this is where this story gets interesting, because that was too strong for, for some of her cabinet colleagues. And, and ultimately, she came under tremendous pressure. But the prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who's been a very good friend of Israel, who stood up for Israel, he came under tremendous pressure from the press, Marshall, which is left wing, to fire her. And eventually he did. And in a big upset, he brought back the former prime minister from six years ago, David Cameron. Those who remember British politics will remember that he resigned over losing the Brexit referendum. So that's a separate subplot. But really what's important to understand over here is that, again, the community is on edge and the police are not willing to stand up either because they're woke or likely because they're actually too small, too powerless to confront these huge crowds, or they feel that that's the case, the path of least resistance. And what I would take away from here, Benyamin, is something worrying over here. This is a very big deal because this is one of the world's uh, most important democracies. I raise this point time and again, what happens in England, uh, Britain makes its way across the pond to America, vice versa. It's got a substantial Jewish community. In that context, the strongest defender of the Jewish community has been fired by a conservative government for expressing views which are the absolute truth over the Israel situation. That is very worrying. Again, has to be stressed, Benjamin. There's no fear that this government is going to turn against Jews or in some way. This is a very pro-Jewish, pro-Israel government. And yet the inability to hold the line on comments that any right of center or many centrist politicians world over would agree that these are hate rallies, that is a sign of the inability to stand up in the public sphere for Israel. And that is a worrying thing. In the very little time we have left, why did Rishi Sonek do this? There's an election. There's all sorts of political possibilities over here. There's an election, polls show, there's a widespread expectation that the conservatives have been in power for over a decade are going to lose in, in a year's time. He is trying to shift things towards the center and what is called the populist right in Britain is definitely on the retreat right witness that they brought in the man who was triggered the whole Brexit populist thing. So that's what the return of David Cameron signifies. But it also means this is the power of the organizations like the BBC and The Guardian, who came all guns blazing for Suella Braven for those comments. And he's had to let her go for that. That's part of the story. I'm sure there's more than that. But that is what is going to be noted by the Jewish community. So to close on a positive note, I was watching today one of the home front command uh, soldiers who was working up north, who was describing everything that the home front command does. We shouldn't think that all they do is operate air raid sirens and warn people to go into shelters. What they're actually doing in a lot of places, they're going into schools, they're going into community centers, they're talking to children, they're educating them, they're calming them down, they're explaining to them what's going on on their level and explaining to them how they can protect themselves and keep themselves safe in case of an air raid siren, in case of any sort of attack. And this is really uh, something to be proud of, uh, to see how they're really going out there and just taking care of everyone and making sure that uh, everyone is educated as to uh, what needs to be done and when. So I just want to give a lot of credit to, uh, they call it a shout out. So I want to give a shout out to them and say, Kalakavod. I agree, Binyam, and I just have to say that these are not people who necessarily get a lot of glory. A lot of them have given up their day jobs to walk around and talk around town with a heavy gun often antiquated long barrel M16 slung over their shoulder and they're not the front line. They don't necessarily get the big glory, but yeah, they're doing a very, very vital job. I have to agree to that. So Binyamin, looking forward to see you tomorrow and we'll reconvene.